Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The Great Salt Lake Collaborative is a solutions journalism initiative. We're going to talk about it today. It's a group of 23 news, education, and media organizations have come together to better inform and engage the public about the crisis facing the Great Salt Lake and what can be done to make a difference before it's too late. They're answering the question, during a time of drought, climate change, and major population growth, how can Utah better support a critical body of water. The Collaborative has uh, posted some 150 uh, stories so far um, in the time that it's been up and running and uh, in fact has got some national attention. I'll mention here at the beginning that Great Salt Lake Collaborative has just won the $20,000 Local That Works Prize. That was just announced, what, before Thanksgiving. Uh, this is uh, part of the uh, project of Current, a nonprofit news organization covers public media for industry professionals, and uh, they were impressed by uh, the work being done by the collaborative. We're going to be talking with two reporters uh, working with the collaborative uh, today on the program. Uh, UPR News Director Sherry Quinn joins us uh, in studio. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. It's good to be here. Thanks for coming in. And Fox 13 reporter uh, Ben Winslow joins us on the phone. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, so th- these two recently traveled to Las Vegas to uh, learn what that water-starved city is doing and what Utah might learn from them. We'll hear some uh, stories that they've uh, done uh, f- resulting in that uh, from that trip. Um, so uh, Sherry Quinn, a longtime reporter, uh, you know, covering mostly science, I think, right? Mostly science and technology and, and environment. Yeah. And uh, you've been with UPR a year-ish. I've been the news director here just um, just a week shy of a year. Yeah, and it's it's been a great year. We're, we're <laughs> glad to have you on board. Uh, you won several awards, right? And, uh, uh, I have. And uh, the a, a current thing to tout, you, you have a collaboration ongoing with Temple Grandin. That's right. Thanks for mentioning that. Uh, we're, we're producing a, a podcast, and also the show is airing here on Utah Public Radio about the different ways that people think and how that influences their lives and careers and research. Yeah, that's a uh, Temple Ground is uh, must be fun to work with, interesting to work with. She is yeah. very fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ben Winslow is a Fox 13's reporter on Capitol Hill, covering a wide variety of topics, including politics, polygamy, vice, and courts. Uh, winner of a national Edward R. Murrow Award among your awards, Ben Winslow. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just tout that for you, uh, which is a big deal. Um, many other awards. Do you still co-host Utah Booze News? Uh, not since my colleague retired. I probably oh, okay. should update the bio. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but do you, you were doing that for a while, an alcohol policy podcast covering uh, Utah's often confusing uh, alcohol laws. Yes, and they still are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, very good. Also known for your very uh, active Twitter account. I'm sure you're very active there, or or are you? Yeah. Twitter's changing, I guess. Twitter is changing. I don't know. We're we're gonna we're gonna see. I'm I'm trying some other platforms as well. I, I just joined one called Post, so we'll see how that works out too. <laughs> yeah, we're we're looking maybe at a post Twitter universe. I'll, you know, it's you know, it's Twitter's in trouble, but you don't know if it's going to fold. But uh, so you're you've been checking out some alternatives. Yeah, just you know, seeing what what everybody's looking at. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me start with you before we get into the reporting from Las Vegas. Very interesting reporting. Uh, I want to have you both, uh, Ben and Sherry, talk about solutions uh, journalism. That's the thrust of this, right? Um, it, uh, easy to report doom and gloom, a little harder to, to maybe find solutions. Start with Ben on that. Yeah, and this was initially something I, I will admit I was 
suspicious of the concept because I viewed it as advocacy journalism, which is, you know, something that we're always taught we don't do. We, we, you know, you present this is what is happening, not how it ought to be, not how it should be. Um, but this is what is going on in your community, and it's up to you, the listener, the viewer, the reader, to decide. Solutions journalism is a little bit different, where you present this concept of here's what is working in other communities or in other places, here's what they've found success or they've found failure at, and is this something that we ought to consider as we discuss these very significant policy issues. And in the case of the Great Salt Lake, what you're seeing is we're, we're looking at other places and how they've handled these similar type issues and are some of the things that they're doing working in their community, and is that something that our community ought to consider? And that's ultimately a discussion for viewers, res- listeners, readers, and policymakers to consider these things and maybe decide where we go from here. Sure, Quinn, uh, a similar question to you. Uh, how have you yeah. found this reporting? So, yeah. uh, focus on solutions. Yeah, I agree with Ben. I also was initially pretty skeptical of it, <laughs> and it took me a little while to get used to it and, and really dive in. But um, it, it, it's really rigorous and compelling reporting about responses to social problems, like Ben said, and also shows what can be learned from a response and why it matters to a newsroom audience and provides data and qualitative results that indicate effectiveness or a lack of and also places uh, responses in context and doesn't shy away from revealing shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk about the collaboration. It's in the it's in the name, right? Great Salt Lake Collaborative. Um, I'll start with Ben Winslow again on this. Has this to me, this has seemed to have exceeded my expectations that, you know, news organizations are very competitive, can be. Uh, yet this has seemed to be quite collaborative. Yeah, um, there's something like 13 newsrooms and uh, a whole bunch of um, educational outreach groups that are involved in the collaborative. And, and what we do is we do share information, interviews, uh, stories, things that we normally wouldn't be doing. Um, and we're, we're, we're working together on these things. Sherry and I, we, we had a fun time in Vegas, you know, mm-hmm. following yeah. around water investigators. And we both presented stories and for the collaborative to use. We, we wrote stories that wound up in newspapers um, and on websites. And we both, uh, you know, have gathered interviews that we've shared with others to use for their respective stations. And it really is a sharing thing. Normally we are competitive. I think to a certain extent we still are on stories even covering the Great Salt Lake. But we're working together for the good of the whole, which is to inform people in Utah um, about this this crisis. Sherry Quinn, uh, I guess in normal times, public radio and commercial television, you probably wouldn't don't mix. Wouldn't have done this road <laughs> trip to Las Vegas, right? No, definitely not. Uh, but I have to say, it was uh, I, it's made me a better journalist. Uh, I, I believe so, and um, just a wonderful experience. And I think it's also going to um, continue this sort of collaboration with different media outlets. It's presented challenges just because the formats are so different, but we've we've made it work, and we've um, come back with these incredible stories about what's happening uh, in Las Vegas, what we can learn from their water conservation policies, and in an effort to help save Great Salt Lake. So before we jump into uh, this uh, the series, uh, which you're calling Solutions from Las Vegas, I want to outline uh, a bit of the problem, of course. So what are we finding solutions to? Uh, I want to just want to quote from a story uh, that Ben Winslow and Sherry Quinn did together here. Uh, I'll, I'll 
I'll just uh, read the first line here and then have uh, Ben uh, comment this first. The drought fuel decline in southwest water supplies set off a cascade of environmental distress signals. And for Utahns, Great Salt Lake is ground zero. And this is really, I mean, this has really come to our consciousness fairly recently, hasn't it been? It has been uh, over the past couple of years. I think more and more people are warning about the decline to the Great Salt Lake and what that means for all of us. Um, I mean, no one likes breathing arsenic-laced dust, okay? And, um, you know, that's one of the things that's in an exposed lake bed that picks up when the wind blows and blows either into Ogden, Brigham City, uh, Salt Lake City, Tooele County, you know, all of those things, depending on which direction the wind blows. There's that issue. There's the declining snowpack uh, problem, which is a big deal for us. There's the economic impacts, in addition to the uh, impacts to public health and safety. Uh, you know, it's it's a big deal, and, and we're not being hyperbolic, I think, when we say that it presents an existential crisis for northern Utah. Sherry Quinn, uh, the lake is, uh, this is not a dispute, the lowest uh, level in recorded history right now. That's right, and, and which makes it all so important that we are working on the uh, part of the collaborative and working yeah. together. You, you've uh, done some reporting, you know, years ago you were doing reporting with Wayne Wurtzbaugh, for example, out, out there, yes, Monty I, Baxter and I, others. I don't know what you, I don't know if you, you've probably <laughs> seen this personally. Yeah, I've been out on the airboat with Wayne Wurtzbaugh, <laughs> and also my very first story in journalism, my first feature story was about Great Salt Lake, and particularly focusing on the brine shrimp industry and the ecosystem, and this was probably, I hate to say, 25 years ago. <laughs> yeah. And at that time, there were uh, alarms, um, especially with the causeway disrupting the flow from the, the south to the north arm of the lake. And, you know, one side was becoming too salty. The other side wasn't salty enough. Then there was the issue with the bacteria, um, the algae also being affected by too much salt. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, they, there were signs decades ago. Those problems have continued, and now with with the lake just at this you know this very low level, it is alarming. Um, so I don't want to jump in here. So um, Ben, you and Sherry went to Las Vegas. What were you hoping to to find there? Well, we were just looking at um, how they handle their landscaping laws. Uh, you know, one of the big things that you keep hearing is this push um, by local leaders to conserve water and to let your lawn go brown. Um, and, and what's interesting about the southern Nevada area, the greater Las Vegas metro area, is they have some really, really strict uh, ordinances and laws about landscaping. Um, you know, there's time of day, there's time of year, watering restrictions. It gets to the point where um, water hits the ground uh, in the gutter and it's considered wasted. And you have the potential to be fined for that. Uh, because every drop of water is incredibly precious. Uh, they do almost 100% indoor recycling of water. Um, and this is because they have a limited supply. Lake Mead is one of their biggest supplies. It is pretty much their biggest supply, if I'm correct. Sherry, right? I yes, think? yes, yes. Yeah. And, and so if you, if you, uh, you know, with, with Lake Mead, it, it's, it's also looking really, really bad these days. So, it, for them, it's, it's, a, it's a mandate, and they've decided to mandate it to residents. So we decided to take a look at that. What does that look like? And is that something that maybe should be considered here? Because, 
here in northern Utah, we've heard a lot of, you know, just voluntarily conserve, volunteer, volunteer, volunteer. And in Las Vegas, they volunteer you. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of uh, just a way of looking at it. We decided to just explore what it looked like. And then we got into some really uh, interesting research about um, – and, and Sherry wrote up a, a really fantastic story about what happens when you decide to flip your strip or flip your lawn and, and what the best approach is so that people can kind of decide, hey, this is a way of, of doing it that actually helps the environment versus because there is a way if you take out lawn that hurts the environment. And that was really interesting as well. We just we wanted to just see what they were up to down there. And is this something that possibly should be considered in northern Utah? Let's hear this first story. This is Ben Winslow's story for Fox 13. Um, the, the headline here, I'm reading the headline on the Great Salt Lake Collaborative website, which is greatsaltlakenews.org, greatsaltlakenews.org. You can also find these stories at Fox 13, of course, and at UPR. Um, so this, the headline is, Las Vegas has tough restrictions on outdoor landscaping. Would it work in Utah? Uh, anything you want to, to say, Ben Winslow, to set this up before we hear this? Um just that, um, think about doing this story, it was a lot like uh, Cops, the TV show. <laughs> yeah, You're exactly. following along people, except for they're doing, like, um, water waste. Uh, they actually have officers who go around and look for water waste. And, yeah, there's the potential for fines. It's pretty tough. Okay. Uh, here's Ben Winslow's story, originally aired on uh, Fox 13. Let's, let's uh, hear this. It's early in the morning and Salvador Polanco Gomez is at work. It's starting to cause some runoff. Looking for water waste. Which is prohibited in Southern Nevada. Uh, things like coming off the property, leaks. He's a water waste investigator for the Las Vegas Valley Water District. It's a government job where they look for and enforce violations of watering laws. It's every day there's water waste. Um, you know, we see it. Um, some people do, some people don't. You know, we're trying to get it to completely stop, but, you know, we're doing every effort we possibly can. Nevada has restrictions on outdoor water use, time of day, day of the week. Once water from a sprinkler system hits the street, it's considered wasted. That's what they say is happening at Guido Husing's yard. It's called runoff. Mm-hmm. Right. And as you can tell, the grade of the property, I can't control runoff. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm within my four minutes uh, uh, cycle from the uh, sprinklers. He isn't getting a citation, but is told to get his sprinklers fixed so they don't waste any more water. The water restrictions I don't feel are that bad. You know, we, uh, we're down to three days a week. It is a little tough to fighting the HOA because they're always on our backs to keep the grass green. Husing says he gets why things are so strict. I've seen Lake B from when I first moved here 10 years ago now to the levels that now, and I understand it. I really think the government needs to stop housing destruction, stop the influx until they can initially discover or de- develop a plan for what they're going to do with the water situation. In another neighborhood, there's this problem. There's probably leak in the bottom. So you're just telling me. Correct. Yes, at, at, at this at this case, they are going to get a letter. Most of the time, water waste investigators only issue warnings. You can see the overspray into the sidewalk. Polanco Gomez says often homeowners are unaware there's even a problem. Sometimes they don't know and they do schedule education reaches, which one of our uh, the water waste investigators takes do come out there and um, recommend some changes. It could be run times. It could be like sprinkle heads, uh, low flow sprays. Making his way across the sidewalk. 
but it is recorded and repeat violators can be fined. They are subject to fines uh, which start at 80 up to 5,000. Nevada has passed tough laws on turf and water. We prohibited uh, installation of lawns in front yards. We limited the landscapable area in backyards uh, to 50%. Uh, we uh, had uh, watering restrictions by day of week, uh, time of day, uh, by seasons. Uh, and recently, we've gotten even more aggressive, and now we've uh, banned non-functional turf. Uh, we've prohibited the installation of new turf, except for schools, parks, and cemeteries, uh, limited uh, pool sizes, uh, and pretty soon we're going to have a, an excess use charge. It's because they simply don't have the water to spare. 90% of southern Nevada's water supply comes from the Colorado River. Really, necessity. Uh, Nevada has a legal entitlement to 1.8% of the Colorado River. Uh, uh, so for the last you know 20 plus years, uh, we've had to uh, adapt uh, how uh, we grow a city in the desert. You'd think the Las Vegas Strip would be Exhibit A when it comes to water waste. The number one use of water in Southern Nevada is single-family residential homes. 60% of their water use is residential. Uh, people you know look at the Bellagio and think that's the poster child, but actually the resort industry in Southern Nevada uses one tenth of one percent of all the water that's available in the state of Nevada, and in return for that we get 25% of our direct employment. Indoor water use in the Las Vegas area is recycled, eventually winding up here in the Las Vegas Wash, a newly created wildland habitat, and back into Lake Mead. The restrictions didn't always used to be like this, but local water authorities say they need to be more strict to ensure a reliable water supply for the Las Vegas area. It's showing signs of success. The Southern Nevada Water Authority reports a 26 billion gallon reduction in water use over last year, stretching the water supply a little further. Officials say they've cut overall water use by 26 percent, while adding 750,000 people to the area since 2002. That's in addition to the estimated 40 million visitors who come to the Las Vegas area each year. Put another way, the agency says it's a 49% increase in population, but a 48% per capita decrease in water use. The population here can see Lake Mead. They can see, you know, that 170-foot that decline over the last 20 years, and so they know uh, they need to do their part. This used to be a popular bay where boats would launch here at Lake Mead. As you can see, it's all dried up. It happened earlier this year, about the same time they turned on some pumps to continue to ensure that the area gets water that they need. What that gives us is the ability to access Lake Mead, even in a circumstance where the Bureau of Reclamation can't physically release water through Hoover Dam and deliver that water downstream to California, Arizona, and the country of Mexico. These pumps were built as a sort of insurance policy for the Las Vegas area. Earlier this year, they cashed it in. It guarantees the physical availability for water for 2.3 million Nevadans, even in a circumstance where the federal government can't deliver water downstream to 25 million Americans. States along the Colorado River have seen their shares cut as Lake Powell declines. Nevada's governor doesn't believe it's temporary either. But like the situation with the Great Salt Lake, Governor Steve Sisolak says he believes states like Utah can follow Nevada's example when it comes to conservation. Well, I don't know if they're draconian, but I do believe that all states should look at what we did here. You know, we're recycling. 
uh, reclaiming and reusing all of the water that's used indoors, at least 99% of it. Uh, we've removed non-functional turf. We've put other things into place to try to preserve more water. And I think that uh, we set the bar pretty high. Guido Husing says other states should copy what they're doing. All the aligning states along the uh, you know, Colorado River corridor need to do as much as we are, if not more than we are, because they seem to be you know, less restrictive than we are. He's now looking at making some changes. I really should do my due diligence and call the, uh, the net of water to see about the rebate system to get rid of the grass. So there is Ben Winslow's report for Fox 13. It's part of the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, uh, part of uh, a trip Ben Winslow and uh, Sherry Quinn took to Las Vegas to look at solutions there and how they might apply to uh, to Utah. So uh, Ben Winslow, um, a lot of a lot of stuff packed into six minutes there. That's a great report. Um, I want to start with the attitude of the people you talked to. You you had the one gentleman there um, who uh, who was guilty of some runoff, right? Um, but but he was, he was he was quite supportive uh, of of you know mandatory restrictions. Yeah, and and that kind of surprised us. I think we were we weren't sure what we were going to get, but it, it seems like when you talk to people who live in the Las Vegas metro area, they understand and they get the situation that they're in. So yeah, while no one's happy that they're getting busted for something, um, they're they also get it. They they're begrudgingly accepting of it. And as you heard that gentleman say, he thinks that other states should consider that as well, uh, which is was a little surprising to us. I kind of was prepared for a sort of uh, more of a confrontational um, type interview, and, and we were, first of all, surprised he was willing to talk to us about the whole situation, considering he had a, a water investigator right there on his lawn, uh, but also that, you know, he, he understood and appreciated what they were doing and what um, was happening because of the situation that everybody was in. And that seemed to be the vibe that... Um, we experienced down there was people who live in Nevada largely understood why they needed to do what they did. Sherry Cohen, what uh, what strikes you from this uh, report? Yeah, I think that that really struck me. And also at first, you know, when uh, we first got there on that on that ride and we stopped where the water investigator was documenting that water waste, uh, he was angry at first. <laughs> he ran across the street yelling, and then after we talked to him and he learned a little bit more about what was going on, he explained to them his situation. He calmed down and uh, he agreed with the, the, the system and, how, and the, how it was important for others to learn from it. And it was really interesting to see that change in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Winslow, that uh, he talked about the pressure from the HOA, uh, you know, opposite pressure. That's, that's probably emblematic of what... Uh, you know, a fair number of homeowners uh, encounter that, uh, and probably the HOA would say, "Okay, that's great. Let's conserve water, but maybe, but we have to have the green lawns on our on our." Uh, Let's not have our lawns look yeah. so trashy, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's a situation I think you see play out up here too. We we've certainly heard those stories from a number of people who are like, "Hey, I want to convert my lawn, but my HOA won't let me," or "I want to let my lawn go brown, but the HOA comes at me or threatens me with fines." Um, you know, I'm, I'm not particularly familiar with how far Nevada laws go into allowing, you know, into telling HOAs what they what they can and can't allow. I do know that there's some legislation that has been threatened and is in the works in, on Utah's Capitol Hill 
to basically try to push HOAs to start being more accepting of brown lawns, of alternative types of landscaping, xeriscaping, local scaping, things like that. Yeah. And just yeah, another thing I thought was really interesting, um, it, how much that the resort industry recycles water casinos. Because when you're there and you see all of the the people and so much construction and towering buildings, it's it's just amazing to realize how much of that water is being recycled, almost mm-hmm. all of it. Mm-hmm. And that it's at a time when the tourism industry there is keeps going up, uh, which I think is just uh, really incredible and really um, uh, com- commendable for Las Vegas. Yeah, Ben Winslow, in your report there, you had some pretty startling statistics. It looks like this program and other programs like it have been quite successful there in Las Vegas. At least so far they have been, and yeah, they've definitely seen the savings while the population has grown, but you are kind of racing uh, against the clock here because Lake Mead is your source, and it's still not filling up, which speaks to the larger problem mm. of the Colorado River, which, like the Great Salt Lake, is really stressed right now. So, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's tough, and, and there's, there's a lot more to come. Um, we kind of teased, uh, teed this up for another part of the story, but there is uh, in, in this series. Uh, but we did a report where um, Las Vegas is going to ban, or Southern Nevada is going to ban non-functional turf by the year 2026. Um, they're, they're not done yet. And there's desires to get people to conserve even more. Uh, going down to something like 86 gallons a day of use. Um, right now it's in the low 100s that they have, but they have goals to try to push residents to conserve even more because the bulk of their water use is single-family residential. Mm. So, Ben Winslow, one final uh, question on this story, and then we'll take a break and come back with the, the, the story you made reference to about the turf. Um, Utah uh, politicians have uh, been low lawmakers have been loath to make make the, the this kind of thing mandatory, right? Um, but that's I'm guessing that's what makes this work in uh, Las Vegas. I don't know what's your what's your thought that it's mandatory. Certain, yeah, certainly the lawmaker we talked to, the Nevada Assemblyman who was responsible for a lot of these laws, said they've tried voluntary measures, but it only gets you so far. His view is that you have to start invoking mandatory measures, and people do get used to it, and he believes that they have the widespread community support. He pointed out that the bills passed with bipartisan support. Uh, they, that's because people realize the dire water situation they have. Nevada is a community. Let's just face it, Las Vegas, uh, you know, Kentucky bluegrass is not a native species to that area. And so they really had to get tough on this. But up here in Utah, definitely far and away the attitude has been that they want to educate people, give people the proper tools to make their own informed decision, and trusting that residents will do the right thing. Um, You know, Nevada's assemblyman again said, you know, that's great. We tried it, but it only got us so far. So there's an inherent conflict there that, uh, you know, we're just going to have to watch and wait and see how that resolves itself. Um, before we go to break, uh, Sherry Quinn, anything else you'd like to say about this particular uh, story? Well, I think uh, Ben summed that up really well, that as Howard, Howard Watts said, it, volunteerism only goes so far, and there's a point where you have to impose stricter measures. And I think that became really clear going there to Las Vegas and seeing it, and, and then also comparing it to what's happening here in Utah. 
Well, let's take a break. We're talking about the Great Salt Lake Collaborative. Uh, it's a group of 23 news, education, and media organizations have come together to better inform and engage the public on the crisis facing the Great Salt Lake. And you can find all of those stories together um, at uh, greatsaltlakenews.org. You can find the stories at the individual uh, websites of the news organizations. And we have with us Fox 13 reporter Ben Winslow and uh, UPR News Director Sherry Quinn, um, who recently went to Nevada to uh, report on uh, measures being taken by Las Vegas that perhaps could be, should be, uh, transported to, to Utah to face our problem here at the Great Salt Lake. Let's have more fun. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, and uh, some 23 news, education, and media organizations have come together. This is a solutions journalism initiative. Uh, now they're looking at the uh, crisis that uh, faces the Great Salt Lake, and by extension, all of us. Um, but uh, how do we how do we solve this? And so, um, Fox 13's Ben Winslow and UPR's Sherry Quinn went to Las Vegas looking at the solutions that are being uh, used there and uh, how they might uh, transfer to, uh, to Utah. Let's uh, hear next, Ben Winslow, your uh, story, another story from this trip. Um, the headline here is Las Vegas incentivizes removal of green turf. Should Utah? Anything you'd like to say to set this one up? Uh, just that, uh, you know, grass is, they're, they're not a fan of grass necessarily, and so uh, Las Vegas area is definitely taking measures to try to get people to, to change. Here's Ben Winslow, a Fox 13 reporter, and his uh, story about uh, uh, turf in uh, Nevada. Patricia Council is getting rid of her lawn, and she's getting paid to do it. The water district does give us a rebate. The Southern Nevada Water Authority is giving her $3 a square foot to tear out her front yard and go with something that uses less water. I decided to convert it, number one, because of the um, water issue. Water is going up here, and so it's costing quite a bit of money. It's being torn out by landscaping crews that contract with the Water Authority. In this case, she's opted to go with artificial turf. You know you're not really walking on grass, but it's not that much difference. It's still soft and nice. So this is her home before, and this is after. Patricia says she's excited because it's low maintenance, and she's going to save a lot on her water bill. I'm thrilled with it. Council spends as much as $165 a month in the summer to keep her lawn alive. Now she'll pay only to water her plants. We're working on our 20, almost 20,000 homes uh, over the years that we've been doing this. Michael Nelson, the president of artificial grass company Foxtail Turf, has been doing a lot of business in Nevada, but has a new market. Utah is the number one market right now. He says people in Utah are starting to explore different types of landscaping and abandoning the traditional green lawn. It's a desert. And most people don't realize it. Even though Utah gets snow and, and rain and has all the four seasons, a lot of people don't realize that six weeks have been lost of actual snow uh, and skiing because of climate change. But Utah's laws are not like Nevada's when it comes to water conservation and outdoor landscaping. The problem with Utah is we're one big family with separate sections, okay? So in one area, they may say, oh, well, you know, the HOAs agreed to it, let's do turf. And then in another area around the corner, they may say no turf whatsoever. So we kind of got to get rid of this, that mindset. We've done a, a lot of different things. Howard Watts represents the Las Vegas area in the Nevada Assembly. He passed a lot of the strict outdoor watering laws. The amount of water that all of that grass collectively uses is about 10% 
of what we can draw from the Colorado River and Lake Mead. So the collective impact of pulling that out is huge. Assemblyman Watts says Nevada tried voluntary efforts for more than 20 years. We were one of the, the leading um, municipalities to create a turf removal incentive. And over time, as it's been used, as we see that the numbers kind of decline, we've increased the incentive. But ultimately, there were some communities that had implied that they don't care how high the amount is for an incentive. They like the way it looks. So they took tougher action, cracking down on water waste with enforcement and the potential for fines. We're in the Mojave Desert. We get four inches of rain here per year. Grass is not naturally growing in the Las Vegas Valley. And so does it have a use for our community, for recreation? Absolutely. Outside of that, is that the best use of our water when it could impact our ability to have water come out when we turn on the faucet? Assemblyman Watts insists the legislation has helped, but that's not all he's done. He sponsored a bill to tear out what's called non-functional turf in Nevada. It's like these park strips that no one really uses. It passed Nevada's legislature with bipartisan support. It's the first law of its kind, basically declaring that we are not going to use water on non-functional turf in southern Nevada by the end of 2026. This actually went and requires properties retrofit and replace that grass, so it's mandatory. While tearing out grass is great for water savings, it can have some negative consequences. A new study explored different types of landscapes and how they affect temperatures. In an ideal situation, we would like to have a landscape that, is, that creates cooling, daytime cooling, um, and saves water. Dr. Rubob Sahur says what they found is high water use grasses and trees called mesic landscapes had higher cooling compared to xeric or more desert native landscapes. But a combination of the two, known as oasis, also cools the area around it. This is an example of oasis style landscaping. For our study, I think the biggest surprise was this dual personality of oasis landscape having cooling effects that are comparable to the tree turf landscape or lush landscape. This type of research can help urban planners and even homeowners figure out what's best to use as we all grapple with drought and conservation. The Southern Nevada Water Authority says the conservation policies they implement actually do have support from residents. We're sitting at about 110 gallons per capita per day uh, in 2022. By 2035, we want to get to 86 gallons per person per day. Patricia Council says she supports the overall water restrictions. I think it's great because our we are losing water. I mean, you look at the dam, it's gone way down. Drastic times call for drastic measures, and I think that it's time that every state along the river look at these big bold policies las vegas is showing that it can be done it can be successful it can be done with community support there's been winslow's report for fox 13 part of the great salt lake uh, collaborative again you can find this of course at fox 13 you can also find it on the collaborative website which is greatsaltlakenews.org we have with us uh, fox 13 reporter ben winslow and uh, UPR News Director Sherry Quinn. Uh, ben Winslow, uh, the, the, what, what struck me here was uh, the fact that uh, incentivization uh, can take you a certain, uh, you know, certain distance, but maybe not all the way. Right, and that, that was interesting to hear, and that um, lawmakers and policymakers in the Las Vegas area insist that they have community support with this. 
The Southern Nevada Water Authority says that people understand this and are largely supportive of the measures that are being taken. Assemblyman Watts, whom you heard in our story, believes that it, it can be done. In fact, they've taken even bigger steps in the last year or so, passing uh, this ban on non-functional turf, which I should point out, again, is retroactive. This means they're going to start tearing up even more grass because, as he says, it's not native to that area. And that so where a lot of laws in a lot of places are saying, okay, we're banning non-functional turf going forward. We've seen that happen in St. George. We've seen that happen in the Salt Lake area, where a lot of communities have started banning non-functional turf in the future. This is going back. Mm. Sherry Quinn, what strikes you from this report? Oh, I just wanted to say something a little behind the scenes, uh-huh. which was yeah. which was fun and interesting. The the day after uh, Patricia Council's uh, artificial turf was put in, we went back to get some pictures of it, and it was interesting because we actually drove right past her house because we couldn't tell that it was artificial. <laughs> we, it just blended in with all the other uh, houses with regular grass. So I thought mm-hmm. that was interesting and kind of neat. So maybe effective for that, you know, if it if appearance is what you're going for. Right, exactly. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, anything else, uh, Ben Wisley, you'd like to say about this story before we move to the next one? I, I just that this is really interesting policy because, you know, we hear a lot about uh, who uses the most water. Um, certainly in Utah, we hear a lot of discussion about agriculture and the vast amounts of water, and they are Utah's top water user, but a big contributor and an easy one to take care of, at least from a water policy standpoint, is getting more residential to conserve, while policymakers also address ways to get agriculture to do its part to be more water efficient, um, that you can do multiple things at once. And this appears to, well, Nevada doesn't really have an agriculture industry so much in the southern Nevada area. Um, this is one way that they're looking at addressing their water shortages and ensuring that they have water for their residents in the future. Yeah, and I just wanted to say, too, that farmers in Utah are speaking up a bit about how that they are conserving water, and sometimes voluntarily, sometimes not. And there are a lot of uh, projects and measures in the works to uh, improve irrigation, to make it more water efficient. Well, let's take another break. When we come back, I want to head to uh, Sherry Quinn's uh, story, part of the collaborative. Uh, I'll just uh, quote the uh, headline here. You can still have an oasis in the desert. And the experts, I'll just tease this ahead of uh, ahead of the break. Uh, the experts you talked to, uh, Sherry Quinn, said removing all high water use plants is not a panacea. So you talked to some experts to tell you how we ought to be doing this. We'll have that story following this break. You're listening to Access Utah. You're listening to Utah Public Radio. I'm Tom Williams. We have with us uh, Fox 13's uh, Ben Winslow. He's on the phone with us. And in studio, UPR's uh, news director, Sherry Quinn. Uh, They uh, took a trip to Las Vegas recently and did some reports. We're hearing uh, some of those. As a part of the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, what they were doing in Las Vegas was looking at Las Vegas's uh, fairly successful water conservation programs, some uh, fairly strict laws on turf, and uh, some other things, and uh, so we're getting the benefit of that reporting on the program uh, today. You can find all the stories in the Great Salt Lake Collaborative by going to greatsaltlakenews.org, or you can go to the individual uh, websites, of course, Fox 13 and uh, UPR. Um, So, Sherry Quinn, I want to turn to uh, your story. Uh, You can still have an oasis uh, in the desert. 
And the experts you talk to, I guess, are, are saying um, maybe don't remove all high water use plants. Don't just strip out everything. Um, That's maybe right. uh, tell us a little bit about yeah, this. Yeah, it seems a little counterintuitive. Or after hearing the other stories, right? It's sort of like, what really? You can do that. <laughs> um, so this, you heard a little bit about it in Ben's story that we just heard, um, and this was again a little bit behind the scenes where. Uh, for the first time, I got to feel like a TV news reporter because Ben and his his team, Eric the um, and Trent, they set me up as if I was um, on TV, which was really exciting and also little made me a little nervous, <laughs> but was really cool to have that experience. They're so professional, and it was such an honor to work with them. And and so this clip, so you're just, you're going to hear a series of four clips from the story the audio version. And this first one is just an introduction to who Rubab Saher is. She's the um, scientist and engineer that you heard in the previous story who did this this study about um, an oasis in the desert. Okay, let's hear this. Deadly flooding of the Indus River in Pakistan back in 2010 and a heat wave five years later are the two events that motivated Rubab Sahar, who has a doctorate in civil and environmental engineering, to study urban climates. You know, these things keep on happening every five or ten years, but shame on us for not coming up with better ideas and better infrastructures. Unless it's resolved in every city, I I don't think my motivation will dry out. Deadly flood. Yeah, shame on us, right, if we don't come up with a solution. Well said. Desert Research, in, well, that actually was on Zoom, but we were at the Desert Research Institute in Las Vegas when we did this this interview, and it was 100 degrees outside. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I, 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 that is something we should mention, that when we were there, we were out on tours of the area, and it was hot. Mm. Uh, so let's hear this in the next clip. What, what do you want to say uh, about this? So this is a description of the study that Rubab Sahir conducted. Okay. Certain landscapes can contribute to the urban heat island effect, in which afternoon temperatures in cities, big and small, tend to get 15 to 20 degrees warmer than surrounding rural landscapes due to the plethora of pavement and blacktop radiating heat. Cooling down cities could save lives. The National Institutes of Health reported this year that extreme heat is related to an increased number of deaths in the U.S. between 2008 and 2017. As a postdoctoral research associate at the Desert Research Institute, Sahar led a study this year published in the journal Hydrology, looking at common arid landscapes and how they affect temperature. The scientists analyzed three types of sites in Phoenix, Arizona, consisting of low to high water consumption. They are xeric, desert plants requiring minimal water, oasis, a mix of desert and high water use plants, and mesic, a tree and turf grass site with water intensive plants. And then, we estimated the surface temperature, evapotranspiration rates, and irrigation water requirement uh, of many other variables for these three landscapes. Sahar said the results were unexpected. The oasis landscape provided the best long-term outcome for both water savings and cooling. So this dual personality of like sa- saving water uh, for oasis, because oasis has lesser water than mesic, but at the same time, contributing to the daytime cooling was kind of a, a pleasant surprise. There we are. We hear from uh, your expert uh, expert there. Rubab Sahari, yes. Yeah. 
Uh, let's hear the next clip. What, what do you want to say about that? Uh, this so next this one. next one is uh, Bronson Mack. So he is with the Southern Nevada Water Authority, the spokesperson. And he, he took us on um, a tour the, the first day we were in Las Vegas. He actually took us on the water investigation with the trip with the water cops, essentially. And he was our, our tour guide. All right, let's hear this. A really fantastic one. Hmm. Las Vegas mitigates the urban heat island effect with some landscaping requirements. According to Bronson Mack, Southern Nevada Water Authority spokesperson, areas converted from grass must include at least 50% canopy coverage. That was a trend that was occurring as our community has been developed and long before we ever implemented a turf conversion program. Since it is the desert, Mack said they don't have much of a native plant palette. So they look to Utah for some of the state's native species. And especially those that are flowering plants, uh, there's benefit to the bees, the hummingbirds, the pollinators of the world. It actually is a more efficient uh, and uh, higher oxygen producing plant choice than going with grass, especially when you consider the amount of fossil fuels that it takes for that grass. You have to consider all of the water that the grass uses has to be pumped and delivered. That consumes energy and power. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you, you need a mix of things, but mm-hmm. still the grass is maybe the biggest Yeah, the, the grass problem. is definitely the biggest problem. But there's a middle ground. I think that's what really the message is. There's a middle ground, and there's, you don't want to be too extreme on one side, another extreme on the other. You got to find that middle ground. And especially because of the urban heat island effect where cities are heating up and temperatures are rising across the globe. And and so it's really important to what you replace that grass with. It is important. Yeah. Uh, Let's hear the spinal clip. What do you want to say about this? Oh, so Mm. this is Jerry Goodspeed. He is the director of the USU Botanical Center in Kaysville. And it, uh, I talked to him about his response to an Oasis-type landscape and what they are doing there at their 100-acre 100, 100 site to All conserve right. water. All right, let's hear this. Goodspeed said he can see a benefit of an Oasis-type landscape that is water-wise and cooling and also reduces carbon dioxide. And he doesn't mind a little grass in it, just not too much. We're way off on some weird tangent of grass and luscious plants. There's a balance there, people, and we got to swing this pendulum way back. Remember where we're living. We're living in a desert. So he just sums it up. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that. Yeah, remember where we're living, right? Yeah, we're um, good. Yeah, but uh, as the story says, what he said they did is they, um, for the past couple of years, put their their plants and gardens in survival mode. That just something as simple as that is just watering less. Mm. And they were surprised to see how well uh, the gardens and plants uh, could adjust to really scaling back water use. And that that I think is a really important message. Mm. Ben Whistle, I want to get your reaction to this story. First of all, uh, remember where we're living. Uh, I think part of the problem is it's very easy to forget where we're living. Right, Ben? Right. And like you heard in both of our stories, you know, it's it's the climate that people think that we're in, where we have seasons, we have, you know, um, <clears throat> winter, which is something that uh, Southern Nevada doesn't really experience. In fact, I, every time I see video of it snowing in Las Vegas, 
uh, you would think it was the end of days down there, uh, the way everybody, you know, freaks out about the snow. But, um, you know, you need to be mindful that, you know, we're still in a desert. We're high country desert, but um, there's there's ways to do this, and you can kind of have that nice balance. And, uh, you know, one thing that it's important people remember is we're talking about functional and non-functional turf. Um, I've certainly in doing a lot of coverage of the Great Salt Lake and of drought issues, you know, functional turf is the turf that you actually use, that you, you know, you go out and you stand on, your kids play on, um, you know, the dogs or pets use. Um, that's functional turf. Non-functional turf is the stuff that, you know, the only time you ever use it is when you mow it. Um, and that's a lot of the stuff that's being targeted. And I think you're going to see a lot more legislation going forward that's targeting incentives, targeting ways to get people to get rid of that non-functional turf. We just have a couple of minutes left, so I'll, I'll just I'll start with the Sherry Quinn. I guess what, what's the big takeaway? What, what would the message of this reporting be for Utah, do you think? I think it's that, um, you know, we are, uh, as Ben said, you know, we have a lot of snow and um, winter and different landscapes, but... Um, we can learn lessons from Las Vegas and Southern Nevada's strict water conservation measures that we and um, and they're recycling also how they're recycling uh, the resorts and indoor water use and every drop counts. Uh, ben Winslow, same question to you. Have about a minute left. What what's the big takeaway? What 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 would you highlight from this reporting for for Utah? I guess especially Utah lawmakers, but I guess all of us. You know, that these are measures that this community has found some success in, and it's what it's done is managed to keep the water supply going a little bit longer. And that if people do feel like this is a solution to help the Great Salt Lake, contact your policymakers. But I would always say never be afraid to contact your elected representatives about issues about anything that you feel is important. Well, uh, we've reached the end of our hour. Uh, some very interesting reporting. Ben Winslow, Fox 13 uh, news reporter, uh, is a part of the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, and he's been with us. Uh, ben, thanks for your reporting on this. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And thanks thanks for coming on the show. Uh, UPR News Director Sherry Quinn, thanks for your reporting, and thanks for coming in. Thank you. And I just want to say quickly that it was really an honor to be able to work with Ben Winslow. I've admired his work for many years. <laughs> And uh, I feel really lucky. So thank you. Likewise. Thank you. And um, you can find all of this, these reports. There's some 150 reports or so, so far, and the collaborative continues. Find all of this at greatsaltlakenews.org, greatsaltlakenews.org. And, of course, on the individual sites. So go to Fox 13, come to upr.org uh, as well, and uh, to find this uh, great reporting from the Great Salt Lake uh, Collaborative. And uh, our thanks uh, to you for listening to Access Utah today. Following this break.